I was thinking about singing uh, a little bit. I know uh, I tried oh, to get gosh. Cassie to sing before. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> who's been missing out everything? It's been Bill O'Neill all along. Who's been planning every scheme? It's the FBI all along. WandaVision. <laughs> Judas and the Black Messiah mixed with WandaVision. I was going to say, yeah, we've we've been on a WandaVision kick, so oh. every episode has been sort of mixed in with some WandaVision trivia. I have not watched it yet. Oh my gosh, it's so good. So good. You're in for a treat, as they say. My favorite thing Marvel has ever Are done. Are you guys big superhero people, though? Like, Not really, follow? and that's why that's why I say like it's my favorite thing Marvel has ever done, because I didn't even know a lot about the, the Scarlet Witch. Is that what her, her character is called? See, I don't even know what she's called. <laughs> and I still really enjoy the series. Yeah. Recommend it to anyone. Okay, I'll check there it out. Go. Yeah. I've heard great things. Yes. How did you guys meet? Josh and I met on the interwebs, on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter.com. That's where everybody meets, isn't it? I think I, I slid into Josh's DMs because I saw all the podcasts that he had written about. And I thought he was on his own podcast. And I said, what's your podcast? I want to listen to it. And he said, well, I don't have one. And about 10 minutes later, he was like, do you want to start one? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. Right, Josh? That's about what happened. I, I think so. It's a pretty incredible story. <laughs> <laughs> now here we are. How was your week, everybody? I just got a gig starting tomorrow writing news for the podcast Business Journal. Oh, Which that's is so exciting. exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it is. And I can announce that here because we don't publish till Tuesday and the official announcement is tomorrow. That's awesome. <laughs> I would just like to point out that ever since I entered your life, Joshua, uh-huh. amazing things have been happening for you. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> partly, partly for you in many ways. All right. Well, that's it. You want to do the intro now? Sure. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. They yell about directors, yell about the plot, yell about the acting, but they also talk a lot. But mostly Josh and Cassie yell about the movies. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome once again to Josh and Cassie. Yell about movies. Yell about movies. Uh, <laughs> I, there you go. Uh, I'm your host, Josh, a freelance entertainment journalist, master of mirth, and many other things. Master of what? Mirth. <laughs> laughter. So. Oh, okay. Uh, my name's Cassie, master of not a whole lot, honestly, but I'm here. <laughs> and and I appreciate you for that. Yay. And we have a fantastic guest today joining us in studio. Yes. Caroline Slaughter, director yes. of the short film Lamb, which you guys should all punch up on YouTube, and mm-hmm. a fantastic new podcast called Astray, which I just interviewed her on for Forbes. You guys can check that article out. Caroline, come on and talk about yourself a little bit and your podcast briefly. Okay. Well, my podcast is called Astray, like you said, and it's about the cost of enlightenment, like how far people go on these spiritual quests to sort of find themselves. We've investigated three men who've disappeared in India, and I'm actually writing an episode now about someone who who died over there, and he was definitely on a spiritual quest. And so, yeah, just looking at sort of spirituality as a whole, and also asking bigger questions like, what is enlightenment? And I don't know, what what are you willing to sacrifice for it? That sounds incredibly interesting, Caroline. I will definitely be listening to that. Well, it's definitely polarizing, Cassie. Yeah. But there are also people who are really into it. So, I mean, I'm getting love letters and I'm getting hate mail. Wow. So. 
But my boyfriend said, if if people don't hate you, then you're not doing something right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Got to get yeah. people talking, right? <laughs> Who does anyone hate us yet, Josh? I don't think anyone hates us. I yet. know, but I'll remember that the next time someone blocks me, though, it's uh, yeah. Secret. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Well, anyway, well, Caroline, thanks for the introduction. I feel like uh, that spirituality part is a big, big factor in today's movie, Judas and the Black Messiah. Right? Yeah. It was, it's such a good film. What did you guys think about it right up top? Yeah, I agree with Caroline. It was very good. I was also really surprised, surprised but not surprised, that I had never even heard of this story before. Because this is the kind of thing that history tends to sweep under the rug. You know what I mean? And so I, I said this really happened. And it sort of inspired me to to look up sort of the history of and the Black Panthers party. I know I'm in Milwaukee and we have we have a Black Panthers chapter here. I don't know much about them. And it so it was really eye-opening. And the fact that this happened and people lost their lives in Chicago in, in the 60s and that the, the police were involved. And and I had never heard this story before. And that in itself just sort of made me think, like, the stuff that we don't know that happened in really recent history mm-hmm. is kind of incredible when you think about it, you know. Yeah, same with Watchmen and the Tulsa riots. Like, those Mm -hmm. are stories that are covered up. And the thing I loved about this movie is that it was like poetry. I mean, the way it's not a traditional biopic, like the way that they sort of look at the deeper relationships and the deeper sort of um, this movement in general. It was very, it was meaningful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was interesting to me. Uh, besides being a great film, is it sort of just throws you into it. It it throws out names like Huey P. Newton, founder of the Huey P. Newton Gun Club, and some other figures from the time. And it's almost like uh, it it assumes that you should be familiar with them because it doesn't spend a lot of exposition. You know, it just Mm -hmm. sort of throws you into the story, which I guess is is good and and bad in a lot of ways. Instead, focuses on like a a, a two-part character arc um, between Fred Hampton and William O'Neill. The informant who is uh, called Judas in this movie because Fred Hampton is the titular Black Messiah, mm-hmm. who apparently was named that uh, from a J. Edgar Hoover memo. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah. And what's really heartbreaking uh, for me is the person who winds up being the informant, right? He does so to get out of a jail sentence, and it seems like what he wound up going through was worse than any jail sentence, right? Because he wound up taking his own life when he was only 40 years old. I mean... Yeah. I mean, but that being said, he also took his friend's life at 21. You know, like, it's weird. I don't know. I'm I'm interested in your guys' thoughts. I didn't have any remorse for him at all when he was in that interview. And I I mean, we're already at the end of the film, but... Sure. I don't know. I just didn't have any remorse for him. Sure. He did mention his son. I think he had a little boy at the time. So that part... Yeah, I felt bad for his son and any family or loved ones he might have had. But you're right. he It was hard to. Well, I think that interviewer said, so what do you think your son would think about this? And yeah. he said something like, um, I'll let history speak for itself. Mm. And then he killed himself the day it was, it, yeah. you know, so I think he spoke for himself. Yeah, very true. You know? Yeah. And very, uh, very deep movie. I mean, what? very intense film. And and the actor mm-hmm. Lake S. Stanfield, uh, I just read a yeah. little thing about how he played him. He said he didn't even want to play this guy at first because he just he's a, a Judas, you know, in the Bible, a despicable character. You know, he so he had to try to find the human elements and and show that even though he made a bad choice, 
to save his own neck. Ultimately, most of the film, he was actually trying to help them while hurting them at the same time. So he painted him as a real I knew I was going to say you could see that internal struggle that he was going through the entire time. He was like, whose side am I actually on here? And I feel like he did a good job portraying that while that that conflict that he was feeling the entire time. I think he started out thinking it was going to be a lot easier gig, obviously, than it turned out to be. And in the end, he found himself sort of trapped. And he was like, they're never, they're really never going to let me go, are they? You know? Josh, why do you think it uh, was spiritual? Why would you say that? Well, all that stuff about I am a revolutionary, I am a revolutionary, that was that was reaching people on more than uh, you know physical levels, trying to reach them on a spiritual level, telling them, you know, just because you think you're free, you know, being free is a state of mind. I know they didn't touch on that, but I, I feel like they might have in the backstory of the movie and dealing with Martin. I guess it I guess Fred Hampton seemed like he's more influenced by Malcolm X's writings and Martin Luther King, which I guess, in, in essence, the whole Black Panther Party was uh, influenced by them also. Um, mm-hmm. And and maybe, yeah, the whole the Black Panther Party and what they stood for, from all the films I watched growing up, like Forrest Gump, the idea and the meaning behind the party sort of been swept under the rug. But I was glad they introduced some of the stuff about uh, free health care, free med care, taking care of everybody, take care of people. That's that's one of my that's one of my slogans. Very spiritual film, and also Fred Hampton's uh, girlfriend, who, bec- who becomes his wife at the end of the movie, played by Dominique Fishback. She tells him, you got poetry, and you know, poetry is a real spiritual thing. It speaks to the soul. I really loved her performance, too. I found hers probably one of the most moving. And there was a moment where he was giving that, that speech, saying he's a, a revolutionary. And you could see it as she starts to cry, and she's pregnant. And I think that's the moment that she realized that he was not long for this world do you know what i mean like i think she knew so then in the end when he winds up getting killed and she hears the gunshots you know like she knew it was coming and that was so heartbreaking i think because i think she had spent months preparing herself for that because i think she knew like it wasn't if but when i like how the film sets it up with historical footage and that that video that song hadn't heard before you i don't know if you guys have heard before either look at those flames shooting up in the sky and you could see like a building on fire and if you, if you weren't familiar, I'm sure it was the FBI burning a Black Panther building. I think it goes into Martin Martin Sheen's Jagger Hoover character declaring them the greatest enemy of America, which is a pretty yeah. bold statement. Yeah. And kind of, I think if the Black Panther Party was still around today, I know they keep trying to reform it. Attitudes at the top of the government probably wouldn't be much different than it was back then. They are still around today. There's one in uh, Milwaukee. Well, well, they're actually, it's long story. They're called the New Black Panther Party. They have no ties to the original. Sure, I did a story okay. On this. okay. Anyway, sorry. Because their son, <laughs> as I feel like I said, I guess I don't know that much about it. That's, that's okay. That's all right. Because their son is involved in it as well, and so is the, his wife. Yeah, Fred, Fred Hampton Jr., yeah. Mm-hmm, Fred Hampton Jr. That statement from Jesse Plemons of the FBI. Man, he's great at playing just like a a, a psycho, isn't he? Uh, when yeah. Laika Stanfield tells him, a badge is scarier than a gun. He's like, wow, I better hold yeah. on to this then. He's <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that whole setup at the beginning, did you guys like that? How he, he's trying to pretend he's an FBI agent, but you don't know he's pretending at first? I love it. I really like that. I thought that the characters revealed so much of the film. Like, there was such little exposition, and I feel like you you were continuously figuring stuff out as the film went. And it's like... 
I don't know, like that. It, it would just, there was no expectation of what that was. There was no lead in. Mm-hmm. And I found that he continued to unravel the film. Shaka King, the director. The, the director. Is yeah. it Shaka King? I, I, I looked it up. It is. And apparently yeah. it's his first I feature. Sure I'm pronouncing so, it right. Yeah. So props to him. First feature. His second. I just looked it up because oh. he had a second film at Sundance in 2013 called mm-hmm. Newlyweeds. And oh, okay. it didn't go thought- the way that he had hoped it would go. I mean, look, this is what I do. I always go down this like rabbit hole with, with directors. But it didn't go the way he hoped it would go in 2013. But he met Ryan Coogler, who ended up producing this. And Ryan did Fruitvale Station at the same time. And yeah. Fruitvale ended up winning Sundance. And so they formed a friendship. And Ryan always believed in him. So when this, when Judas came around, he took it to Ryan. And Ryan had just finished Black Panther. And he's like, sure, I'll produce it for you. Oh, wow. But ironically... Even with Ryan Coogler attached and half the money in place, they still couldn't. They it took them a long time to get it made. Huh. Yeah, and I was listening to a, a podcast about that. Oh shoot, I should have sent this one to you guys. I'm sorry. Because of that huge settlement at the end, I think it was 1.85 million. Yeah, they've been trying to make a movie about this for a long, long time. And when the family agreed to do it, they met the director and the producer for like an eight-hour meeting to, <laughs> in person to talk about what they were going to do to make the film just because they were, yeah, they were determined that this was going to be right, you know, done right. They waited so long to tell the story and they wanted it done right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even I I think, you know, I'm telling stories now about men who have disappeared and dealing with their families, even listening to the podcast, I have so much, there's a delicacy about it and handling their legacy. So I can't imagine dealing with someone like, like this, like dealing with Fred Hampton and his legacy, that would be, you'd have to be so precious with mm-hmm. that. Right? Yeah, even so, there was still a lot of pushback online about, oh, this film wasn't accurate or they missed something. But so there's, there's always, yeah, well, there's always going to be people upset. How did you like the introduction of, of Fred Hampton, you know, coming in, giving that big speech, you know, capitalism is here to enslave you, socialism is here to free you. Did you did you guys like that? Yeah. He was, he was amazing in this film. He deserves all the recognition that he's been getting, I think. I was really impressed by him. And watching the way just his career has progressed has been fun. Him and Jesse Plemons. I mean, they're both really. It's been fun over the last few years seeing everything that they've accomplished. Oh, I wasn't familiar with Daniel Kaluuya before. What what else has he been in? He was oh, Get, get out. out. Yes. Oh, well. Get Out. He was also in an episode of Black Mirror. Why do I not? Oh, he was in Black Mirror? Yeah, you're right. Well, I've seen both of those things. That's weird. I don't recognize him. I I guess he's just a totally different character then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. That shows you how much he transformed, right? Because. Yeah. 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 When people got, there was a lot of pushback because he's a British actor and Mm -hmm. it wasn't sort of like. But I thought it was interesting, and this is sort of spiritual, I guess you could say, but he was like, I just channeled the character through me. Like, that character just came through me. And you could see that. Yeah. It was like, he was on a different level with this character. Yeah. It was not him. So, Josh, I could see how you wouldn't recognize mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly nailed the accent. I mean, I would never have guessed, like, <laughs> that he was yes. British, right? But, yes, he, mm-hmm. in in Black Mirror, he had his original. But you should watch that. It's called 10 Million Merits, I believe is the title. It's one of the original Black Mirror episodes, Josh. You should watch it. I, I will, unless it's uh, like that first one about the pigs, which turned me off. No, <laughs> it's not. Okay. It's nothing that like was, the pig episode. No worries. That was a lot. <laughs> uh, he, he spends a lot of time in the film. Fred Hampton does Daniel Clue. Fred Hampton talking about uh, the people, 
but a lot of the a lot of the film is about him. Do you think they struck the right balance between what they're doing for the people and just being more of like a lifting him up on a pedestal in this movie? What do you think? I, I heard that when the director originally showed it to some some um, filmmakers like Ava DeVernay and Barry Jenkins, they actually said put more of him in. So that's mm-hmm. why I think the balance is where it is, where we do see a lot of him, because I think the man was the facilitator of the people. So mm-hmm. to be able to see him and who he was is a good representation of of the people that he protected and worked yeah. with. For. Yeah. Power to the people. Yeah, and if he was called the Black Messiah, clearly he, he had really become this pretty powerful figure in their communities. And that quote, remember that quote when he had just gotten out of jail and he went to the Black Panthers headquarters and it was all fixed up after it had, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was a quote where he said, anywhere there's people, there's power. And I love that quote. Mm-hmm. And it sort of summed me up, summed him up for me in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There was a lot in there that was really eye-opening. Like when he went to a clan meeting and then he was just trying to speak saying, listen, they're, they're trying to divide us too. They're trying to divide us yeah. against each other. It's, it's the people. It's about the people. So, yeah, he called he it a rainbow coalition. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right? Truly. He, I mean, he really was he, uniting all these, these people from different walks of life, which was not a lot of people can do that. <laughs> Yeah, and the ending of the film, did you did you know it was coming when you watched the film? Had you heard about this story before, either one of you? No, I didn't know, but I'm not, you know, I wasn't surprised. Not surprised the FBI would murder somebody in his sleep. It was... Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know, <laughs> I don't even know what I want to say about that. <laughs> it's very relatable in, yeah. in, in this day and age, yeah. and, unfortun- and unfortunately for that. But I will say that one scene, Cassie, that you're talking about, I read that, oh my gosh, what's the, Deborah Johnson, the wife, was actually backstage when they when she was performing that, when Dominique was performing it. Mm-hmm. And she told her not to cry. Really? And she said, yeah. and this is a quote, at that moment, that was for the ancestors during slavery when they couldn't show that side. For the mothers now who are losing their children and still have to be strong for everybody, <sighs> says Fishback. That's what black women do. So she asked her not to cry. Wow. And that was that was to that was the strongest choice for the filmmaker to make, but the hardest thing to watch. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm gonna start getting emotional about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, you're about to make me cry over here, Caroline. And this is a yelling podcast, not a crying one. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. No I'm bring some emotion yeah, this is, in. yeah. Just not one of those episodes. <laughs> I love uh what they did with William O'Neill, that scene where the uh, the the girl Judy, I think her name was. She thinks that uh, William O'Neill is like a undercover police officer, perhaps. And you know, she they jump in his car. She's like, "Oh, you stole this car? Let's hot wire it. Let's see what you got." And so, the 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 tension in that moment that was that was a great little five minute build. Did you guys like that? I loved it. The suspense that was apparent throughout this entire film was amazing. Mm-hmm. I felt like, like I, it just it was so tight. And it was so suspenseful. And that's not, I mean, don't you guys agree that's not normal for a biopic? It's not normal for a film where you, it has a predestined ending, a historical ending, no. Sure, yeah, that's true, that's true. You know, I was keeping notes as I was watching, and I 
at first, like in the first half of the film, I remember thinking, you know, O'Neill and Agent Mitchell are kind of two sides of the same coin. I felt like they were kind of going through similar battles of like, who should, the, you know, who should their allegiance be toward? Because I felt like you could see Agent Mitchell showing some humanity, but then they they sort of <laughs> do a little switcheroo on you and he just all of a sudden becomes this evil. I, I don't, that was disappointing because I thought he was going to be like one of the the few sympathetic, the only sympathetic law enforcement official in this entire film. And that actually turned out not to be the case. You thought and he I was wasn't a good guy. Not necessarily. I, that, that did surprise me. Yeah. Well, I, I thought he was a good guy too, but I, I think mm-hmm. part of that FBI training is to just uh, be able to, you know, flip what the person you're interviewing or working with thinks on their head and just play, play up to them and just tell them what they want to hear. And I guess that's what he was doing the whole time. Yeah. But I think there was a moment when Hoover mentioned his daughter. Yeah. Like that's when he flipped. It became personal instead of being a job. Right. Uh, Well, someone always has something on somebody else. And that's like the theme of these like sort of revenge or, or murder movies, you know, what, what are, what are you holding over me? You know, yeah. like, uh, I mean, William O'Neill's freedom is being held up. And so he has to do this these series of awful things that um, I want to know how that guy lived with himself for 20 years like that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> what else stood out to you guys about the film? I loved the cinematography. Mm-hmm. I thought that was amazing. And that one scene where um, I think it was Jimmy Palmer was the young boy who shoots at the cops because his friend was was killed by them. Yeah, that's right. So I thought that was an interesting scene. One, because he was pretty much trapped when he had gone over to the the sort of the hospital janitor's house with that gun and it dropped and the janitor called the police on him and then you knew he was trapped and he was sort of like put into this situation and he was angry and he had every right to be. But what I thought was so interesting is you saw his turn, too, when he was looking down at the policeman and he made the decision to shoot him. And then when they shot him, uh, that shot, it's just it felt like the director made these really visceral decisions with the shots because it put you in the shoes of the characters. And that I thought was really powerful. It it did. And you reminded me of the ending where Fred Hampton is shot. But you don't you don't see it. You see it from the the vantage right the the vantage point of his wife. Yeah, who knows yeah. what happened? I know, guys. <laughs> I saw this two times, you guys. Yeah. And the second time, I I felt the emotion more. The first time, I was so caught up, like even the colors really like the the greens that they use and the way that it like tonally how it felt. I was so just enraptured in the world mm-hmm. that it was hard for me to even pay attention to the story. And this time, I was able to really look at the history a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know what stood out to you guys story or I do. I do or? at the very beginning when he was just about to walk into the bar to, to rob them. I remember thinking like, this feels sixties. Like I wasn't there, but I feel <laughs> this feels like what it really would have felt like, I think. So I did think that. Yeah. I like the, uh, the shifting scenes that happen all the time. Like when they went to a meeting with the crowns, another group I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that was just part of, you know, showing the greatness of Fred Hampton at age 21, who spent all his time listening to recordings of Malcolm X in his room and trying to be more like his hero. And then the, the, the FBI had those propaganda sheets printed out and, and the leader of the crowns read them. I just love the, the one-upmanship, the, uh, the shifting of tones, who has the power and, and the scenes. And, and they ended with a hug. Yeah, this film was definitely about power, wasn't it? Yes. There was one there was one thing. 
that broke the tension for me at one point when Agent Mitchell shows up to the rally. Yeah, yeah. I was reading about this last night, and he has that red beanie on. Like, yeah, man, you totally blend in. You look great. Like, you don't stand out at all. You're good. I was wondering about that. What did you read about it? <laughs> I just, I, first of all, I don't – why was he there just to sort of check up on his informant? Or I'm not sure why he was even there, but <laughs> not the red beanie just – it gave me a giggle. And I needed it because it was an intense movie. <laughs> and it stuck with me. I, I just need to get your thoughts on this. Was he – was Hampton drugged before by the informant – and then that's why he couldn't wake up when he was shot. Is yeah. that they, correct? Yeah. They imply that. Uh, they, mm-hmm. He said, yeah, it's going to, he'll just go to sleep. That'll be all. That's, that's it. Yeah, the guy and in the car who slipped him. Right. Uh, oh, now I'm remembering how uh, Bill O'Neill, like, leaves the standoff with the police at the at the Black Panther headquarters. And he's like, no, no, I got the roof. And then he gets, oh, he actually gets shot. So he's like, he has some skin in the game. He's trying to. Despite the fact that he's, you know, he's got a mission to, um, you know, do whatever he has to do to stay alive, he's he's somewhat on their side too. He was, mm-hmm. he almost got shot for them, and then he runs away. So, he, guy can't make up his. He was mind. very conflicted um, throughout, yeah, <laughs> throughout this entire <laughs> film for sure. Yeah, I mean, why? How? So, when you read about, how do you pronounce his name? Um, Lakeith. Lakeith, I believe, yeah. Lakeith? Lakeith. Stanfield, like, how did he end up wanting to do this role? Like, what won him over? Because it would be a hard role to play. It was a short thing and a longer piece. It wasn't a profile of him in the story story I read. Yeah, he just got asked to, you know, he was asked to do it. And I guess, I mean, part of it was the the legacy of Fred Hampton, I'm sure he was familiar with. Also, I love this actor in, uh, what was that movie where he played a telemarketer? Sorry to bother you, you guys. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I he's never a great saw that. actor. Cassie, that is that is so wild. Anyway, sorry. He's also in Get Out. He, yeah, Probably. I was, was going to say, this out. movie was kind of a Get Out reunion because he had a role uh, in Get Out as well. And the guy who was sort of like the pimp character from the bar, who was the undercover FBI agent. Yeah. Who mm-hmm. hands, he was also from Get Out. Was he? Oh, at, oh, at the very end okay. when, he's, when, mm-hmm. the, when he's chasing him and he's like, hey, what's your name? What's your badge? Who yeah. are you? Who yeah, are yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, And then he hands him his badge from the very beginning of the film. Uh-huh. Yep. That's like, oh, you're, that's like a heart sinking moment right there. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, because all, all throughout the film, he had this, they're out to get me and paranoid. Someone's looking after me this whole time. And then it's all true. They yeah, really were like, out oh, to get me. I was right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Gosh. Now I want to watch Get Out again. But how did he know about that? How did that guy know about him? Because Jesse promised his identity would be a uh, secret. Remember that? I mean, Jesse, uh, uh, the FBI agent. Jesse. <laughs> that guy's a liar. Amazing. I mean, yeah, yeah, I think, unfortunately, that he was good at just tricking not only the informant, but tricking all of us as well. I think we all kind of mm-hmm. thought he was a good guy when he actually wasn't. No, there are no good guys, Cassie. We learned that from the first episode. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Trust me. I've been dating long enough to know that's true. <laughs> oh, man. Had to get some laughter in this episode. I know. <laughs> that was good. Know, that, was good. that was good. Broke up the tension. It's hard to laugh about this movie, though. Like, right. it really is, especially with, with, I mean, to be honest with you guys, I was like, I don't know if I want to do this film. Like, mm. I don't know if I can talk about this right now. It's also just a really intense film, yeah. and I think um, it's. But those are the films that are important to watch. But it's there's a, rev- a reverence that we have to have around them, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this film played a little bit, not played, but it, it it sort of balanced the reverence with the need for history, 
But at the same time, I, I saw some criticism that it didn't didn't give you enough of the history. You know, like I was saying at the beginning, like, you know, who who was Fred Hampton? How did, how did he get started? Did you just see him as... They wish because there hasn't been like a full, you know... Ex, uh, they don't give like a backstory on who he was growing yeah, up. Yeah, and, and the other figures at the time, it's just sort of microcosm of this particular moment. You know, I mean, personally, as I was watching, I didn't feel like I needed that. I don't... Yeah. I agree. You know, it was it was powerful enough on its own and it did inspire me like i said to look into the history of like, the actual event but i didn't need to see like what happened to him specifically as as a child you know i knew he was growing up in 50s and 60s chicago which you know i think that says enough as it is unfortunately so it- you know the fbi started tapping his phone at 14 14 because they really? knew at 14 because they knew that he so because and i actually wrote this down hampton was an effect his effective leadership and talent for communication marked him as a major threat to the fbi oh my starting gosh. at 14 i mean he was almost like he came into this world with such a mission sure you know from what the director was saying the thing that his his gift was to touch people so he would just see he would be able to connect right away to someone and see them and that that's a gift yeah but he was really just coming in i think after and this is also what i heard from the director after he got out of jail he was sort of coming into his own at that point and really and we saw that moment with the jesse clemens hat bit when he was like really coming into his own there mm-hmm. fred and then he was taken like right before he was about to explode on the scene and he was willing to sacrifice himself after he got out of jail there was rumblings he was going to go to jail again, and all his friends are like, I don't know, I think you might want to go somewhere else, you know? Yes. And he's like, no, it's not about me. Mm-hmm. It's not about me, you guys. It's about the people. Where there's people, there's power. What a man. Yeah, just imagine what he could have accomplished, you know, if he wasn't taken so young. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hey, so many of those leaders back yeah. then. Um, all right, well, sounds like it's time for final thoughts. Cassie, you go first. <laughs> I can't really think of anything bad to say about this movie. It was really powerful. It was really well acted. The, the you know, the ambiance, like you said, the cinematography was spot on. I don't give 10 out of 10s. I never have. I don't know if I ever will because it just seems impossible. So <laughs> the highest I ever give is a nine. So I'm going to go with, I, I give this one a nine. I give it uh, nine red beanies <laughs> out of 10 is my. <laughs> red beanies. Yeah. I, I- I, I like the film. I like the music. I wish, uh, I almost wish it had more music throughout it, actually. That'd be my only criticism. Not enough Not enough music of the times throughout, because they started off so strong. But still, I'm, I'm going to have to give it nine fake FBI badges <laughs> out of ten. I'm like the best person to bring to a party if you want me to rate something, because I love rating things high. It's just how, because I know how hard it is being a filmmaker and how people like shit on things. But also, I will say this movie was profound and it was a 10 out of 10 because of the relevance, but also because of the way it made me feel and how I think it was able to, in my opinion, got to know who Fred Hampton was in a way that, yeah, had like a, it just the reverence was there. And that's something that I look for in films like this when you're talking about such a legendary character. And I'm doing a biopic podcast next mm-hmm. that's slated to start in April. And so I'm so excited because I wrote my co-producers and I was like, we've got to look at this film and and look at the entertainment around the biopic and really keep the stakes high and really keep the suspense there. So I'm using this as sort of our... Caroline, you are revolutionary. Thanks for joining us. 
I'm not that. Yeah. <laughs> <Redemption> <laughs> was. He was, yeah, but I, I, I think he was saying that to inspire people to say that about themselves, though. You know? oh, that's what yeah. I, that's what I think. I am. He wasn't just saying me, 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 all about me. He's like you, you are a revolutionary, but it did, it didn't sound right grammatically. Plus, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> so, all right. So, but I appreciate the sentiment. You're welcome, Cassie. You're also a revolutionary. Well, thank you. I was waiting for that. <laughs> What am I, chopped liver? No. Hey. I'm sorry you guys said I couldn't. This wasn't, I'm sorry this wasn't funny, but it was just the film. No, it, no, no. I don't think we were expecting it to be. I mean, this, yeah, it's hard to find. Laugh, laugh a minute about a, a, a undercover cover up that yeah. none of us <laughs> learned about in grade school, right? I mean, okay, it doesn't have to be funny all the time. I mean, our, our poor whitewashed history books. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you guys had come into this being like, let's just make fun of this movie, I think I'd be like, um, I can't, I can't get on, I can't hear yeah, you. Yeah, no, and I would have just. <laughs> I don't Sorry, know guys, do that. <laughs> I told you they'd yell about directors, yell about the plot. They yelled about the acting, hope they let the guests talk, but mostly Josh and Cassie. Yeah.